Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back for another edition of Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Every single week on Felony Friday, I focus on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. This is the 80th episode of Felony Friday, so that means you'll be able to find links and notes at the show notes page to everything that we're going to talk about today at lionsofliberty.com slash FF80. Felony Friday is only one show on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. We also have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Claire. It is our flagship program, our longest running program. Mark has more than 300 episodes that he's recorded. He hosts interviews with leading minds in the liberty movement, hosts roundtables, our very popular segment, Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, is hosted by Mark. And every Wednesday, we have a uh, show that we started earlier this year called Electric Liberty Land. It's hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is a shot of culture, comedy, and liberty every single Wednesday. Be sure to check out both shows. Be sure to subscribe to the Lions of Liberty podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. For today's show, this is an outstanding show. This is a show that I'm really proud of because it's a story that I can promise you 100%. You will not find this anywhere else. You won't find it on the cable news shows. You won't find it on NBC. You won't find it on NPR. Nobody else is covering this. This is an outrageous story of injustice. But hopefully, after today's show, that'll change. And this story will start to gain some momentum and some exposure and get my guest today, Curtis Strayden, get him some vindication, get him some recognition for the struggle that he has been through. You see, Curtis, he was referred to me by a former guest on the show, Malik King, and I'm going to have to make Malik a uh, an honorary producer of Felony Friday or something because he's found me so many great guests. Malik, of course, communicates with so many people who are in prison, and he's been instrumental in helping a lot of people, uh, assisting people to get clemency. And he's helped me find guests who were able to get clemency uh, from Barack Obama. Curtis is one of those guests. Curtis was sentenced to life in prison for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. And I'll get into details of the corruption and the incompetence and the lies. A story that you truly will not believe until you hear it. I'm really looking forward for you guys to hear today's interview. But before I do that, I want to tell you about the sponsor for today's show. Today's show is sponsored by MartinArmory.com. And MartinArmory.com was founded on the simple goal of making buying a gun easy and affordable Instead of carrying thousands of different kinds of firearms, Martin Armory only carries the top 25 firearms, handguns, shotguns, rifles, the top 25. By using this unique business model, they're able to offer guns at a ridiculous price. And on top of that, because you're a listener of this show, you're going to get a special deal. Go to martinarmory.com right now and check out the selection. You will not be disappointed with the selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns. And you're not going to find better prices anywhere. Pick out something you like when you go to checkout. Enter promo code LIONS at checkout. And you're going to get free shipping on top of the already low, low prices. So go to martinarmory.com and enter promo code LIONS for free shipping at checkout. All right, guys. Let's get into today's interview with Curtis Drayton. My guest today on Felony Friday is Curtis Drayton. Curtis was sentenced in 1995 to... Life in prison on four counts of distribution of cocaine-based possession of intent to distribute cocaine and aiding and abetting. His prison sentence was commuted by President Obama in December of last year. He's released from prison on February 16th of this year and got out of the halfway house in April of, uh, of this year. Curtis was only convicted and sentenced to life 
as a result of what I can only describe as blatant corruption, incompetence, whatever you want to call it, neg- negligence at the hands of prosecution, detectives, judges, uh, a probationary officer. Truly a remarkable story. And I've spent a couple of days here uh, over the course of the past few weeks of talk with Curtis on the phone going through. He sent me uh, a couple of folders of all the documents, all the court documents that he's accumulated over time showing all of these errors, which led to a life in prison sentence that he never should have been sentenced. Curtis was brought to my attention. His case was brought to my attention by Malik King. Malik was a, a previous guest on this show, and he is a, a great advocate for criminal justice reform and clemency. So this is an incredible case. I'm going to do my best to to talk with Curtis here, to go through, to take you through step-by-step step, everything that he's found, every instance of corruption, incompetence, federal agents lying, judges lying, just a completely insane case. So let's get started with this, Curtis. Welcome to Felony Friday. Good afternoon. Thank you. Curtis, thank you for coming on. And like I said in the intro, you know, we've, we've talked a few times. So this is, this is kind of different than... Uh, than most of my shows, because normally when I'm doing my interviews, it's really the first time that I've had a chance to get to know somebody. But, you know, we've had, I don't know, maybe a couple conversations. I think the last time we talked, it was it was well over an hour. So I've gotten to know you a little bit, gotten to know your case a little bit. And there's a lot of different aspects to it where federal agents have have outright lied, um, where judges have have made mistakes, admitted to making mistakes, where a probation officer in your sentencing uh, changed changed the sentencing to give you a which led you getting a life sentence and I want to get into all that stuff before I do that though I just want to ask you just a just a pretty pretty simple straightforward question once once you did get that once you did find out you were getting clemency from from President Obama can you just describe what that feeling was like after all of the struggles that you've been through? It was like a brick had been lifted off me. It, it, was, it was a feeling that no one can experience but me, knowing that I've been convicted wrong for 23 years. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's unimaginable, uh, really, to, I mean, obviously, I've never been in those shoes. I can't even can't even picture what you felt like. We've had some previous guests on. We had Israel Torres on who who shared his story, but everyone's story is different and your story is truly unique and I want to have you on to shine a light on this injustice. So, let's just start sort of going through here step by step and and uh, you you can lead me through. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, like I said, you sent me a lot of documents and and we've we've been through them. And one of the documents was a grand jury testimony by Detective Devin Whittle. And what they did is, and, and you can expand on this, is they claimed that you gave consent to a search during a traffic stop and then later contradicted it, saying that no consent was necessary and they just took the keys from you and searched your car without consent. So c- can you talk about that? Yes. First of all, um, it was January 30th. I was stopped by uh, Montgomery Police vehicle, in which they said I hadn't broke no law, so they stopped me anyway. But they asked me for the, cause for my keys to search my vehicle. I told them, no, you could not have my keys unless you had a search warrant. They told me they weren't going to get no search warrant, so they started snatching the keys out my hand. And... Uh, but when they went to the grand jury, they told the grand jury that I gave them consent to search the vehicle. Well, at a, mo- at a trial, another officer came back and said that I asked Mr. Drayton if I could search the vehicle. He said no, not unless you had a search warrant. So that's two convict- contradicting stories where they told the grand jury that I did get them consent, which was a total lie. So how did that affect your case? Was was any of that thrown out, or were they still able, able to use uh, that evidence against you? They used the evidence against me. They said that someone, an unknown identified subject, had put cocaine in a car, but it wasn't me. And 
he said that uh, it was five kilos, but it was they said it was, it was three kilos. But like I said, uh, I hadn't broken no law, so they didn't have a search warrant to search the vehicle. Yeah, and that, that's really just just the just the tip of the iceberg. Another thing that you told me about was, and this is really an, an unbelievable story, and you can tell me the background on it. But a guy by the name of Tony Robinson. He was a, a government witness in in your trial, and he testified against you, correct? No, he, he didn't testify against me. He made a statement against me. Okay. Okay, he made a statement. I guess he was, he was debriefed by, by uh, I guess, Montgomery DEA agent. But in the OBA Act, in the indictment on October 15, 1991, Tony Lamar uh, distributed 46.4 grams of cocaine uh, base. According to Overact, Robinson, who who, uh, who, had, who was, had also been identified as a government witness, said he obtained this cocaine from Curtis Dream. Well, first of all, I found out Tony Robinson never obtained no cocaine from me. So after I found this out, I brought it to my lawyer's attention. I said, who is Tony Robson? So after my, I guess my lawyer got with them and they found out it wasn't me. So they turned around, but they catered to the grand jury and put in an indictment saying that it was me. But come and find out, it was another individual, which I don't want to call his name, but the same date and the same amount of drug, he supposed to got them drugs from another individual. So they took the drugs off of me and gave it to the other individual. You've sent me these documents, obviously, and you don't want to use this other this other guy's name. That's I, that's understandable, but yeah. uh, it was the exact the exact same date, the exact same amount, forty six point four grams. And exactly. How did you figure this out? How did you figure out that they were that he was using the same sale uh, or a sale that didn't that you didn't. It did not occur with you with you, but a sale that happened with this other guy against you. How did you how did you figure how did you figure that out? Well, I ran across the guy in, in prison and we 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 compared notes and because he was he went to trial in nineteen ninety six and and I told him about Tony Lamar Robinson that they had tried to get him get give me some drugs that he said he bought for me, but I never told him Lamar Robinson never bought any drugs for me. So as we talked, he showed me the same drug that they put on him from Tony Lamar Robinson. So I guess Tony Lamar probably testified against him. But once we compared the dates, it was the same identical date and the same amount of drugs. Truly unbelievable there, um, just how blatant that is. Same date, same exact amount. Down to the decimal point, 46.4 grams of cocaine. Yes. Next thing, and you know, I, I had a little bit of trouble at first understanding this when we first started talking about it, but there was a uh, a cloned a cloned pager used in this case against you. So I guess yes. I guess what, what I guess first explain what, what what does that mean a cloned pager? A cloned pager is like a pager where someone called you on and uh, you get their number and you call them back. But first of all, when they got the cone pager, uh, the, the information that they presented to the judge, they really lied to the judge. And they admitted that they lied to the judge in order to get their clone pager. So in a hearing and uh, held July, 19, July the 21st, 1994, the government conceded that they lied, said uh, uh at the hearing, the government conceded that the affidavit filed in support of the application for the clone patient was insufficient and did not establish proper cause. So before we get into that, a magic, they talked to Magic Judge Coonan, and, you, and the, Judge Coonan told him, said, what the United States is admitting that we made a mistake in terms of providing insufficient information to the judge to obtain this. In other words, they said they uh, provide insufficient information, but 
when when it really boiled down, they outright lied, but they use a proper word, you know, insufficient. And uh, they also said we did not provide the judge with the sufficient information for the neutral and detached judge to find proper cause. So in other words, what they said is we, we made a mistake by what we did to the judge, and we we, we admit that. They also said the judge, the judge Cooney told them, said, here we have a mistake made by the prosecutor and maybe a mistake made by the judge who, in, in other words, granted them the uh, uh, application for the clone page. But like I said, after they found out that they, they lied and they conceded, they wanted to uh, sever me from the trial. But some came about. I don't know how it came about. They didn't do it. But anyway, like I said, they went on and admitted that they lied. And the, and the judge told them, said, anything that derived from that clone pager cannot use cannot be used against Mr. Drake. So, in other words, in other words, anything that came from the clone pager because it was illegal, that made the information that come from the clone pager illegal because it would be fruit of a poisonous tree. But anyway, so I filed a motion to the court saying that they used the clone pager to get the affidavit for the wiretap. Okay? But come to find out, they they did a motion to the court and said that um, information obtained from the device was not used to support the application of the wiretap. In other words, the prosecutor said they didn't use information from the clone pages to, to get the wiretap. Now, not only that, I filed a motion to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal. Then the 11th Court Circuit Appeal also tell me, accordingly, we see no error in the district court admission of evidence obtained in the clone pages at trial. We also reject the defendant argument that information derived from the clone pager was used in support of the application for the YTAP. And therefore, the YTAP was illegal because it was fruit, fruit of the pardon tree. So in other words, they convinced the 11th Circuit that they did not use information from the clone pager where they know to, in order to get the YTAP. They know if they lost that YTAP, that was their case. They didn't have a case, period. Because all the information came by way of YTAP. But Mr. Tesson was at another trial in 96. And he had his agent, Kathy Watts, on the stand. And Mr. Tesson asked him, now bear in mind, Kathy Watts was the agent that got the YTAP. And Mr. Mr. Teshner was, he was the... Uh... He, yeah, he was the prosecutor. Yes. You can continue on. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to, to clarify. Okay. So, you know, when you tell a lie, you got to remember. But you know the truth don't need no support. So Mr. Teshin asked, put Kat, his agent, Kathy Watts, on the stand. He said, could you tell the jury as an investigating tool was any further use made of the information derived from the clone pager? Her answer to him was, I'm sorry, Mr. Teshner, in what respect? To establish proper cause to take any other action. Yes, sir. This was used as part of the basis for the affidavit for the YTAP. In other words, she told him that they used information from the clone pager to get the YTAP. But he, uh, he, he wrote a motion saying that they didn't use it. He convinced the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeal, and they agreed that he didn't use. It. So, did did but, that exchange there that you that you just read from? Did that happen before or after you were sentenced? That happened after I was sentenced. After you were after, okay. Yes. See, it didn't make no difference with him. He, they could tell the truth now because they done got their conviction. We in prison now. You follow mm -hmm. me? Yeah, I but got he, you. I, I follow you now. I just wanted to make that clarification. He didn't know this was gonna come back on him. We're going to take a real quick break to hear from today's sponsor. We'll be right back to hear the rest of Curtis Drayton's story.
I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options, and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at martinarmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal, to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, martinarmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now for a limited time, their prices are even more insane as martinarmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to martinarmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's martinarmory.com. The promo code is LIONS. Okay. Now, now, one thing I did, I did want to move on next. We were talking about your, your sentencing a little bit, and you you were sentenced under 21 United States Code 848, and there's there's a lot that goes along with that in this case. Um, really, you know, and we'll talk about it, but you you never should have been sentenced under that code for for a lot of different reasons, and Absolutely. at the end of the day. You were sentenced uh, to, I believe it was, 848A instead of B. Is that right? That's correct. And which which was a much worse sentence. But we'll we'll get into that. But I do want to talk about a couple of qualifications, a couple mandatory things from taken from Garrett versus United States, which outline uh, the what's necessary in order to send someone under U.S. Code uh, 848. So it's it's for the prosecution for a continuing criminal enterprise, and uh, the decision reads after after a prior conviction for one of a uh, predicated offenses that must be shown to make out the uh, criminal uh, continuing criminal enterprise violation held not bared by the double jeopardy clause. So this. Uh, this sentence is designed only to reach the top brass in the drug rings. That's important. Remember that, listeners. Not lieutenants or foot, foot soldiers. Remember that. And the offense requires uh, the jury to find that the defendant committed a, a, a previous offense and in addition to this, uh, to this predicate offense was part of a continuing series of predicate offenses under, undertaken by... The defendant, with the defendant would would be yourself with five or more other persons, and the defendant occupied the position of the organizer or manager, and the uh, the defendant obtained substantial income resources from uh, the continued series of, of violations. So you sent me a, a bunch of different documents that that show why you didn't meet really really any of these of these qualifications, and so I just want to kind of kind of go through those each year. The first one being 848 is designed to reach uh, top brass, uh, not yes. lieutenants, not foot soldiers. And I think, so it was the, uh, I guess it's United States versus uh, Edward Edward Whitek or Whitek. Whitek. Whitek, where, where that also far, further outlines the 848 uh, qualifications, I guess. And one yes. of the things they talk about that evidence of affronting drugs is is relevant, but evidence of fronting without more is not it is insufficient to satisfy management requirements. So, right. th- and that's important to remember. We're going to talk about some of these different different witnesses. So, so they brought five five witnesses against you. Is that right? Yes, they brought five witnesses against me, and not one of them said that I control him. So the, the, let's talk about the first one. Thomas Grove. Thomas Grove said on page 109, he started fronting me. So describing it as, as fronting, which said that is, that is not sufficient evidence for, uh, for management. Right. Donnie Ray Davis said, said the same thing, that Absolutely. It, was, right. it was fronted. Right. And Chapel Hill. But Chapel Hill, like I said, I couldn't control him because he was being controlled by the police. He wore a wire on me three times because he, he, his brother and I had a car lot together. Now, Chapel Hill, you got the bad mind. He was up at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. He was selling cocaine in Tuscaloosa. 
which I had no idea. And then, I mean, it's on the transcript exactly where he said what happened. He said a confidential informant rolled on him for about two or three grams. Well, first of all, Chapel Hill had no business up there selling cocaine because he didn't need no money. And, you know, I thought that maybe he was getting cocaine for him and his sorority group or something like that. I had no idea Chapel was selling cocaine. But anyway, the three ounces that he got from me, he gave them to the police. And he would, like I said, he went to the DA headquarters. They made him get out all his clothes. They taped a wire on him three times. And you, surely three ounces shouldn't have never got me a life in prison. So he was busted up in uh, Tuscaloosa. At the University of Alabama, yes. Selling cocaine in college. And uh, they used him against you. And that, that, that's a good point you bring up, that how could you be directing him if the cops are orchestrating the whole the whole deal? Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. I got everything where he went down there to, and where he agreed to make buys for me. I got where him and his brother had a meeting, and I didn't know his brother knew it. He had got busted. And I told his brother, and his brother told me to look out for it, in which by I made a mistake, but I paid for it. But still, three ounces of cocaine should never got me life in prison. Another witness that they brought in, Robert Robert Lee Moore. Robert Lee Moore. What was his story? Robert Lee Moore told him he never bought drugs from me. Said, but he was in the vicinage where somebody bought drugs from me. But to be honest with you, I never seen Robert Lee Moore a day in my life until he came in that courtroom. So how could I be controlling him? If I don't know him. So at this point, they were they were just trying to get to five to meet that requirement for A48. You had one motive, the last one, number five, Michael Mays. He's told them that he never bought drugs. I never sold him drugs. So that should have killed that automatic. So that's just crazy. So if, if they, they put him on the stand and he says, yeah, Curtis Strait never, never sold you drugs. No, he didn't. So what? why did they even... What did he even say against you? Which one now? This is uh, M- Michael Michael May. Michael Mays only said that we put the, put some money together and tried to buy some drugs, which never happened. But he never bought drugs from me. So if we, if we just go back to, to what's needed to satisfy 848 in order to satisfy that manager position, the organizer position, you got to have five, five people, five other people that you that control. That you're controlling, right? Right. So you've just Michael May. We said he never bought drugs off you. That you went in on a, I guess, put money together or something for a deal. Mm-hmm. Robert Lemore said that never bought drugs off you. Chapel Hill, the police set up that buy. Right. Um, Donnie Ray Davis said that I that he was him. being fronted drugs. Thomas Grove said the same thing, and it says in the 848 requirements that fronting drugs. Does not uh, does not satisfy the management requirement. That's what 11th Circuit law said. Right. So so with with all of that, how how were they able to get you with with 848? Because we had a jury who didn't know nothing about the law, and apparently it's shame to say, it, but my lawyers they didn't know nothing about the law, and I didn't know nothing about the law at the time. And personally, you got to bear in mind that we didn't have a judge from Alabama, and we didn't have a prosecutor from Alabama. We had a crooked prosecutor out of Kansas City, whose name was Charlie Teston, who, by the way, got uh, fired later on for prosecutor misconduct. The other thing here, I almost missed it, is in the opening state, the opening statements of the case against you, right? U.S. United States District Court, Middle District of Alabama, Northern Division, says U.S. against you – know, th- this is the, uh, the the case against you versus Oscar Andrews, Terry Mitchell, Curtis Strayden, Robert L. Franklin. Uh, they call it out in the opening statement that Curtis Strayden was a lieutenant. Yes. And it says in 848, 848 is not to include lieutenants. Yes. And in the pre-sentencing investigation <clears throat> report, they describe – Curtis Strayden as a lieutenant. Yes. So it's 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 really unbelievable that they would make contradictory statements and then still still get you convicted on a uh, on, on 848. Yes. 
And in other words, each one of us, Robert Franklin, Lorenzo Hughes, and Nate Salary, they should be let out of prison right now because they were wrongly convicted. So those those guys are, are all still in? Yes. Uh, Robert Franklin's still in, Lorenzo Hughes still in, and Nate Salary. But they was wrongly convicted. They were labeled as lieutenant. So if you're a lieutenant, you cannot be charged with an 848. And that's what Supreme Court law said and the 11th Circuit law. That's truly unbelievable. And I, I do want to get into maybe, I mean, there's so much crazy stuff with, with your case here. But I, the, the craziest thing, it's hard to even categorize one thing as being the craziest. But the thing that I just don't even understand how in the world something like this would happen um, this is coming from from the uh, this is the executive summary. This is your clemency petition, I think. Yeah, clemency yes. petition, January 2016, and in your uh, in the section original sentence imposed talks about the the background of the case and the application of the 848 sentence, and it talks about that the probationary officer indicated that you were convicted under 21 USC 848B, which mandates a life sentence. Yes. But you actually were not. You were convicted under 848A, yes, correct? I, yes, I was, which the Supreme Court says carried 10 years to life. But if you got a conviction, one or two convictions, it'll carry 20 to life. But you got to bear in mind, I didn't have a conviction at all. Right, you didn't have, you did not have a prior conviction, which was another requirement of of eight four eight. Yes. This so this probation officer somehow changed your changed the code, the U.S. code you were sentenced under from A to B, or from uh, excuse me, yeah, from from A to B. She changed the statute. You know. Right. Uh, indictment uh, and judgment indicate that I was charged under eight forty eight A, but. In contrast, my probation officer indicated that I was, uh, com- was convicted under 848B, which mandated a life sentence automatic. And so it, it also it, says that I got to be made $10 million in a 12-month period, in which there's no way I made that kind of money all my life. Hey, that is a lot of money. How did you find out about this specific aspect of it? How and when did you find out that your probation officer had made this mistake? Well, my lawyers out of New York who did the clemency. Well, you know, we can't have a, a pre-sentence report in, in prison. They make you send those home. But like I said, all the time I was fighting the 848 because I know I would never uh, uh, organize it. And I know that 848 wasn't designed for a lieutenant or a foot soldier. So, but after after uh, the lawyers took my case, they started doing research, and that's when they came up with the probation officer changed the statute. That's how I found out. They called to the prison and said they had some mobile news for me, and I asked them. I said, "Is it in my favor?" They said, "Oh yes, most definitely in your favor." He said that uh, you were trial and convicted under 848A. But your probation officer indicated that you should be charged under 848B, which was not supported by the indictment or the judgment. And she said that based on that determination, that was improper and was not supported by the indictment or judgment. In other words, she's saying that the probation officer can't do that. Who make the probation officer the, the judge and the jury? But now the judge had a duty to, to review the, the uh, report that the probation officer uh, 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 submitted to him, but he didn't do it because he was a crooked judge out of Georgia. He was old, half sleep. So that's how I got my life sentence on the 848B. Unbelievable. I wonder, do you happen to know if you talked about the, the other three people that you went on trial with who are still in prison? I think it was, was it Robert Franklin, Lorenzo Hughes, and Nathan Sal- Salary? Yes. Do you know if the same thing could have happened to them? It could have. But first thing I know, 
they shouldn't be should have should never been charged with 848 because they were labeled that labeled as lieutenant. After going through something like this, what are your feelings on this whole situation coming out on the other side? Well, you know, I know that's a God above, and I prayed and I prayed, but you know, when I was in prison filing motions back and forth to the court and being denied, you know, I had to pray and God told me to get out the way, let him handle it. So he put Obama in place and they appointed me to get, gave me the right lawyers to do the job. And I rebelled from that. So that let me know that's a higher judge than these judge walking around here on earth. Somebody that's maybe going into prison right now, and maybe it's you know it's probably not the same situation as you having all this all these uh, corruption happen and mistakes and lies. But what what advice would you give to somebody or the family of someone who is who is going into prison on, on how to how to deal with it? First of all, you know I know I'm not the only someone that this not happen to. First of all, when these guys get in prison, you got to. Study your case. You can't be running around prison and playing basketball and all, all these other games. And you know you got a long time over your head. So you got to get in that law library and do some research. And that's what I did. And uh, But our, our justice system is so crooked. And, and not only that, when I got out, I had to go before the judge. And I showed him all these documents. And the only thing he could say to me, in which I do have it on transcript is our justice system is not perfect. But yeah, you done made me did 23 years in prison on a sentence that I should have never been charged with from the start. First of all, when when Alabama did an 848, that was the first case to ever been tried with an 848. So they know they they really didn't know. But now since I've been in prison, my lawyer found one more case and it it was it was years after but still they didn't get life sentence and and some of them had prior conviction that's amazing so so your case with with your co-defendants was the first trial in the state of alabama where they used 848 yes it was yeah they didn't they didn't know what the heck they were doing at all uh, not at all what a mess i'm really glad that you you brought up again uh how important it is you know you you, you got into prison. You didn't sit back and, and sulk and feel sorry for yourself. You took action. I mean, you went in and you learned the ins and outs of your case. I mean, yes. this is – I can't even describe to people. When, when I got this uh, this package in the mail from you, you told me on the phone it was going to be a lot of a lot of paperwork. But, I mean, it, it, it blew me away. And I read through read through the majority of this. But without you you know helping me out with this, going through on the phone and, and showing me – and showing me th- these errors and the lies and uh, corruption, I mean, it's 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 not easy stuff to get through. L- uh, legal documents <laughs> for those lawyers that listen to this show, they know that it's uh, sometimes it's tough to translate. And I think that's part of the reason why there's so many problems in the criminal justice system because it's not easy to uncover these errors. Yeah, and what makes it so bad? I had an attorney out of Atlanta whose name Marsha Shannon. Marsha Sheen, and Marsha Sheen should have known this. She she sent documents to me about the what about the uh, clone page when I was trying to tell her about the clone page. She sent me a document saying that she asked for all the documents from my trial lawyer, but she didn't receive everything. But how can you represent me fairly if you ain't got all the documents? And first of all, she should have known uh, about the eight forty eight. Because that's what she specialized in. At least that's what she said she specialized in. She didn't do nothing. And these and, and Supreme Court law was out in 1985. And the 11th Circuit law was out in, in 95. With Y-Tech. And she should have known this. She should have argued this. She should have found out what the probation officer did. Instead of my clemency lawyer finding out. Yeah. So, so much of it comes down to... Having a good lawyer. I mean, just because you have a law degree doesn't mean you're a good lawyer. And unfortunately, I've seen too many times where good people get screwed over simply because they have a lawyer who is who's playing. They're they're playing out of their league, talking a game that they can't back up. And that's so it's really really unfortunate. Yes. 
But Kurt, Curtis, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And like I said, this this podcast was going to be a little little bit different, and maybe it was hard for people to follow along. Hopefully, we did, we did a good job of uh, of describing everything. But I mean, my objective here, what I wanted to do is I wanted to to shine a light on this case that that was pointed out to me uh, by by Malik King. Right. And um, I'm I'm really thankful that he did point it out, and and I did get to to shine a light on it. So if anybody out there listening does have questions about this case or, or, or anything that we presented here, feel free to, to follow up with me. And, uh, Curtis, I just want to give you, give you a chance to give any, uh, any parting words or wisdoms or, or anything you want to say. Yeah. There's one more thing I want to say, and I want the people to hear this. And this is what came from my clemency lawyer. She said the advocate statutory range for Mr. Drayton's conviction on the 848 cannot be determined due to the discrepancy in the record, especially Mr. Drayton's indictment and judgment indicate that he was charged with and convicted of violated 848A, which carried a sentence of 10 to life, is what the Supreme Court says. In contrast, Mr. Pro- Mr. Drayton's probation officer indicated that he was convicted on the 848B which mandated life sentence automatic. And what she's saying is, I shouldn't have never been charged with 848A, let alone 848B, what the probation officer changed it to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable. What, I mean, I've said that so many times, but, I mean, we went through the qualifiers for 848 to even – be tried with that to be sentenced under 848. You didn't meet any of them. You never should have been never should have convicted under 848. And, and then, like you just pointed out here, on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough to be convicted to be sentenced under 848A, they took it up a step farther under the mandatory life sentence 848B. Yes, and not only that, the jury found me not guilty of a gun possession. But the probation officer took it upon herself to give me two points to enhance my sentence to a life sentence, too. So the probation officer gave you two points for a gun possession that you were acquitted of? By the jury, yes. Wow. It's crazy craziness, Curtis. Yes, it is. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that we did have a president for a little while that, uh, well, I do have disagreements with him in many areas. The one area where he was very good, maybe the best we've had, is in granting clemency. Yes. Was in at least starting a conversation for criminal justice reform. You know, I, I can criticize Barack Obama all day that he should have done more to re- reform the criminal justice system. But he did do a lot to grant people like yourself clemency, which is which is outstanding. And we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if, if he hadn't. Yes. And my last thing I'd like to say, I'd like to give thanks to my lawyer, Caitlin Nadol. I'd like to give thanks to the pardon board. And I, I, I mean, the clemency board. And I'd like to give thanks to President Obama because if it weren't for them, I'd still be in prison fighting this crooked justice system that we have. Well, I want to, I want to thank you, Curtis, for, coming on this show, informing me, educating me on your case so I can talk sort of intelligently about it or at least follow along with you. And hopefully, hopefully this podcast will, by shining a light on your case, might help to expose some injustice for people like who have suffered similar to yourself who might still be in prison under similar circumstances. So thank you for coming on the show, Curtis, and and thank you for, for all you're doing still continuing even now that you're out you're you're fighting for other people who need to be granted clemency or right. shouldn't even be in prison in the first place so so i appreciate that i know there's a lot of guys in there convicted on the 848 go in that law library and study that 848 and the elements of an 848 well, thank you so much for coming on the show curtis thank you hope you guys enjoyed today's story today's show with curtis Strayton. Uh, curtis is a uh, really, really impressive guy for someone to go through what he went through and still have the drive, still have the passion 
to go through all these legal documents and really build his own case. And he did have some help from some uh, clemency lawyers up in New York to get him out, to get the paperwork drafted. And obviously, Obama did approve it and commute his sentence to set him free. But what a story, man. I mean, if that doesn't just slap you in the face and wake you up to the rampant injustice in this country, I don't know what will. I mean, I'll never forget uh, getting the mail the day that I got the all the legal documents that Curtis sent me. And I started going through them and I'm reading them. You know, when I talked to him on the phone before he sent them, he said, I'm going to send you some documents. It's about my trial. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Sure, yeah, I'll read through, <clears throat> I'll read through some documents. No, no problem. We'll just do your interview in a couple weeks. I got the stuff in the mail. And I'm like, I, I didn't know where to start. I did not know where to start. So I, uh, so we set up, we set up some phone calls, and I talked to Curtis two or three times, and we did Skype video back and forth, and he could, you know, show me which document he wanted to talk about. And when I said there were a lot of documents, I, you know, I should post a picture, but it's it is thick. It is it's a it's a lot, and I feel like I just finished like a a little piece of law school. You know, obviously I. If you guys don't know, I don't have my law degree. It's, it wasn't readily readily apparent. I feel like I earned something researching this case, and I definitely learned uh, from Curtis, and I learned a lot about our criminal justice system. I learned that oftentimes the prosecution and the judges don't even understand the statutes and the code that they are uh, trying to get people convicted of, that they're trying to sentence to. So it's it's re- it was really eye-opening experience, and also the lawyers don't understand it. So it's an incredible experience. And the saddest part is, or one really sad part of this story, is there's still people in prison. I just want to read their names again. Curtis mentioned a couple times during the show. These were guys that were, were tried with him, convicted at the same time. Robert Franklin... Lorenzo Hughes and Nathan Salary. And the three of them, um, as Curtis said, they were identified as lieutenants during the trial. Lieutenants cannot be convicted of 848, and they were, and they have life sentences, and their sentences did not get commuted. Remember those names, guys, and we really got to start putting some pressure on the Trump administration. You know, get back into you know, get back into some sanity. Get back into letting people out of prison who are locked up for non-violent crimes, non-violent drug crimes. Guys, this is this is nuts to lock people in cells, lock people away from society, away from their families for decades. That is insanity, guys. We gotta get our politicians to wake the heck up. And you know, I'm willing to exhaust every avenue. Um, This is a cause that has renewed my passion for criminal justice reform. And I'm I'm going full force, guys. And you're going to hear, I got a lot of guests coming up, a lot of guests who have, you know, are experts in this area, uh, some guests who were granted clemency themselves. And I'm shooting for some big guns. I don't know if I'm going to get them or not, but I'm damn well going to try. So we'll see how far this goes. And In order to do that, obviously, it would help to have the listeners out there, the Lions of Liberty listeners, to support. And one way you can support the show is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Go to lionsofliberty.com slash support. For only $5 a month, you get access to all of our exclusive content. $10, you get all the content, and you get some other freebies. Discount at the store. Free shirt, free koozie. $25 a month. All of that stuff plus another free shirt, another free koozie, plus you get even more of a discount at the store. You get stuff at cost, which is the same thing, same amount that we pay for stuff at the Lions of Liberty store. The Lions of Liberty store also, if you just want to buy something from us one time, that that does support us as well. And you can shop the Lions of Liberty store at lionsofliberty.store. And Brian McWilliams, the host of Electric Liberty Land, just unveiled his Electric Liberty Land design. I'm going to be ordering one myself, and I can't wait. The design is really cool. It's a Statue of Liberty with uh, some different shades of sunglasses on and a really cool Electric Liberty Land print. So I'm pumped to get that. You guys should go and check it out for yourself. Pick one up. Another way to help the show, a very important way to help the show, is to go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. 
If you like this show at all, if you want us to grow and you want this show to really continue and make a huge impact, massive impact, then you got to go to iTunes. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, I don't care. You got to go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. It helps with the ranking and like it or not, iTunes rules podcasting right now and you got to have a good ranking. You got to show up on the charts. So we got to get there. So please help us out, guys. That is appreciated. One last thing, a very important thing. You guys know we always talk about Alliance of Liberty Donor C supporting causes through Donor C. The Donor C app allows you to donate to causes and see your money in action. I was actually going to talk about one cause that I didn't even have a chance to talk about it. We funded uh, last week. If you tuned in Felony Friday, I talked about a well that was being built in Malawi, and that is fully funded. That's done. That's awesome. It's uh, has, This high-quality well is going to be built thanks to you guys for donating. That's incredible. It's going to save lives. That is awesome. And then I was going to talk about this week. I was uh, all set, planned to talk about a project in Uganda that was going to help Orphans, kids who live on the street, don't have housing, don't have clothing, don't have places to even lay down their head at night. It was a. Uh, there's been several phases to this project. This was phase five, and I was all set to record and say donate to this. It's almost funded, but before I could even record, it got funded. Uh, Mark talked about it on Monday, and and uh, Brian on Wednesday, and now it's funded. So that's uh, that's fantastic, guys, and I'm really happy about that. But we need a new cause to talk about, so I talked to. Our buddy Clint Rankin over at Walk the Walk, Walk the Walk Facebook group. Join it if you haven't. That's sort of the uh, the hub that Clinton has put together to pick these causes for all of these different groups, all these different libertarian podcasts, libertarians to get behind, to fund. And he's picked a new one, and I love it. It's in Uganda. So this actually ties in with the uh, the project I just talked about, with helping those uh, the kids on the the or- the orphans don't have a place to live, race on the street, building facilities for them. This is the road to that, to what they're building. This road has been washed out. Uh, it was actually, this project was funded one time and they don't have enough money to, to fix it. They've dipped into emergency funds. Uh, they need to raise more money to replenish those emergency funds and to fix this road that has been washed out with the heavy rains. So this is a perfect cause for libertarians, of course, the always annoying comeback from statists who say to libertarians when they say they don't want government, who will build the roads? Well, guess what? Libertarians will build the damn roads, and we're going to build the roads here. We're going to fund this project. As of recording this right now, $860 left to fund. You can find it by going to, to Donor C and searching for it. It's under Kristen Johnson. She is the sponsor. Or you can follow me or uh, Mark, Mark Claire over at Donor C, and you can find it under our profiles as well. So we are going to build the road, guys. Join in and help libertarians to walk the walk. All I have for today, guys, please share the show. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.